Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. John and Michael have brought on another guest to today's podcast, and that is Peter Anderson from Anderson Capital Management. Uh, John, I know that you brought Peter on for a very specific reason. Why'd you bring him on the show? Yes, uh, Peter and I are uh, are mutual associates, and we've done some work together personally. He manages some of my portfolio, which is he's done a wonderful job. But Peter has a, has a good focus on what's going on in the economy and and Peter, well, I want you on the call today. We have our clients asking us pretty, pretty routinely, what's going on with the markets, with, with, the, with the pandemic, and what our expectations are with stocks and bonds and, and real estate and all the things that are happening around us. So I thought, thought today would be a conversation on what you think the key issues are, uh, and you don't have to get too political if you choose not to, but, uh, but that's okay if you want to bring politics into it, because I think, uh, from my perspective, that has a lot to do with a lot of concerns that some folks have with what's going on in Washington. So I thought we'd just have a, a nice conversation today and kind of give you the lead on it, and we'll, we'll pop in with some questions along the way just to guide you maybe something more specific on some of the issues that you know, we want to address. So with that, Sounds good. I'm, I'm going to give it to you, Pete, and let's start with where are we? <laughs> well, we ask ourselves that question every day. Where I mean, as a we? money manager, you know, I'm asking that continuously. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't have a compass. But I would say this year is even more perplexing, if possible, than 2020. You know, when we yeah. were in 2020, that question was just permanently unanswered. And I think we were all looking toward the vaccines, 2021, uh, a, a turnover in administration as something that would give us resolve. But um, unfortunately, I would say 2021 is even more difficult to answer that question about where we are. And I'll give your listeners some guideposts, uh, the way I look at things, uh, especially from an investment perspective. And try to figure out a roadmap that could be more like a labyrinth, frankly, at this point, because there's so much data happening, coming in, and we are in a tremendously protracted turning point, you know, where we do have the vaccines, people are reemerging, businesses are reopening, but there is this nagging sense that maybe the virus will come back. We've had commodity issues, you know, supply demand issues. There's all kinds of things happening. And uh, during a period like this, it's extremely important to stick to your plan and to not be allured into a, maybe a different kind of strategy that isn't uh, comfortable for you, things like that. So uh, we can spend some time going into more detail, but just as an overall summary, I would say we are on a much better track. It's noisy. But I am extremely optimistic that, number one, as human nature, we will not only survive this, but actually come out on the other end uh, much better. And I do think we are headed that way. But we do have some fits and starts, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being optimistic is good these days because uh, we, we're hearing a lot of 
pessimism out there, and, and I want to make sure that the, the, all the listeners get again your message is you know you can't make crazy decisions right now. You got to stay pat with your allocations and and trust your advisor that's kind of guiding you along the way here, and not exactly. get emotional it, about what's going on. Yeah. That's right, and you know this is the most important time in an investment cycle to be talking, having. I would say almost continuous conversations with your financial advisor, uh, because there, it is such a fluid situation. And, um, you know, what has exacerbated all this too, let's just put this in perspective. You know, the, the press is in the business of selling ad time. And we know for a fact, it's been said on uh, CNBC many times over the past years. Um, they say it kind of tongue in cheek, but they say, you know, we love volatility because we get more eyeballs on our screen. And when you get more eyeballs on the screen, that means you can raise your ad pricing. So I often amuse myself <laughs> thinking about one day we turn on CNBC and Joe Kernan or one of them says, you know what, there's no financial news today. And uh, why don't you tune in tomorrow? But as we know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> the and uh, they are, you know, it's easy pickings this year because there is so much news. But I want to caution listeners into taking that with a little bit of cynicism, you know, that where is this news coming from? What's the purpose of telling us this news? Does it help me make investments or does it just make me more agitated and uncertain about the future? And unfortunately, that is part of the you know, public press in the American way is there's a lot of anxiety out there. And, uh, you know, some of these um, news programs do feed on that. Yeah. And the, and the other part of this, and, and again, to talk about what's going on in Washington, that's a lot of angst for a lot of people. What, what's your read on what's actually going to, what's actually going on in Washington? Are these tax proposals going to uh, yeah. come to pass or it's just yeah. going to be talk? I what, think, well, number one, I think we would all agree that um, the country is probably the most fractured it has been and most polarized in some time, at least since I was a teenager, Vietnam War, that kind of thing. So we are embedded in a period where there is so much disagreement. Uh, and we started this year with, you know, a colossal amounts of disagreement and not necessarily civil, you know, uh, respectful disagreement on either side. So you're entering into a political environment that is so supercharged. And uh, in terms of taxes, yes, I do think the taxes will be increased, but it is a long road to getting uh, something permanently passed. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen in the past, and I'm just not certain about this as an investor, but um, some investors try to play that and anxiously say, well, if taxes are going to be increased, you know, what is the best way to position my portfolio or reposition right. my portfolio? That's and what they we're getting, thinking, Pete. Yeah. Yes. And they start getting a lot of questions about dividends, capital gains. Should I be, right. you know, realizing them now because, uh, I might pay less taxes than in the future. And I, I'm not certain that is the best way to focus your energy on that because that's uncertain. And the more important thing is to say, am I allocated correctly? What's my horizon? You know, if I have a uh, college tuition, on the horizon, then certainly I want to adjust my portfolio accordingly. But if I'm going to uh, have a long runway before I need to realize this, I almost, and against a lot of other advisors' opinions, I almost say, look, 
don't let the dividend taxable dividend um, liability wave your portfolio dog, so to speak. And uh, just stay invested in the way that you think when you work with an advisor, what your plan is. And it's very rare, minus what I just said about tuition plans or things like that, sudden need of, of um, capital. It's very rare for me to advise a client to make a cataclysmic shift based on, say, a tax policy that we have no idea, frankly, sure. whether or not that's going to actually come as a modification or if it's just going to die on the vine. Yeah, and we've had this bull market for quite some time now, and I think that's where the, where the issue is. And you, you mm-hmm. can probably you probably can tell stories about that that conversation, but but yeah. people are are, yeah. are they know a crash is going to happen? They just don't know how far deep it's going to go. So they're yeah. they're yeah. waiting, they're waiting, and I think there's still a lot of cash on the sidelines today. Yes, and uh, you know, crash. I well, I sometimes think back to two thousand eight. Uh, and when I had a conversation with somebody, it must have been at a cocktail party or something like that, and the person was saying, way back in 2008, okay, what are we going to do about inflation? You know, this is going to be horrible. And uh, what the Fed has been doing to get us out of this worldwide catastrophe. And look, we are over 10 years later. And I wonder what that person has done. I mean, if that person had made decisions based on an anticipated inflation, they would have really lost out of a lot of this huge market rally that's happened since then. And uh, there's no timing of that. You know, to me, it's kind of like, I tell them it's like jumping into a jump rope. You know, you're, you're watching this thing rotating. You're trying to time when you should get in or how you should modify for yeah and it's impossible and just get in the jump rope and start jumping and um you know make have conversations continuously checking to make sure you're you're still on course with what your personal course best personal course is but i remember back then thinking boy this is premature you know it's 2008 we're in a catastrophic situation and people are thinking about um, how should we position the portfolio for eventual inflation. And, you know, I just bring that up because we're still having that conversation. And inflation, that's a whole other issue about how much is supply demand uh, masking what inflation really is going to be. And I, I mean, supply demand and the fact of, of coming back from a total shutdown of the economy. And I am in the school that thinks all of the inflation is going to be transient. And luckily I have a little data now behind us where we looked at uh, commodities, you know, lumber prices. You remember recently as uh, late winter, people were really shocked as to how much lumber uh, prices had gone up. And now we see, you know, it's like a perfect case where supply, demand, and the supply chain took care of things, and and now we're coming back to Earth. So I think as lumber and commodities, copper go, so will all the other inflationary asset classes out there. And we just have to sit this one through. But it's tempting not to because we are in such a period of, I would almost call, unprecedented recovery. Yeah, Peter, this is Michael. I'm really glad you brought up inflation because that is Mm -hmm. one area that we've had a lot of conversations with our families on. So I'm really glad you you touched on that. And as it relates Mm -hmm. to commodities, I mean, we're we're seeing a lot of families ask us more questions regarding, 
you know, precious metals and, and that commodities allocation in their portfolio, as well as mm-hmm. real estate. Do you have any thoughts on, on that side of the world in addition to what yeah. you just discussed? Yes. Um, you know, in terms of, um, say, precious metals, you know, I am not a big proponent of them, although uh, I know many people have a cogent defense of that and advocate using, say, gold. But, uh, you know, when you use just the classic tests of an asset and valuing it by its cash flows, certainly something like gold or any of the other precious metals just don't throw off any cash. So it's hard for me to use like my standard training in terms of valuing things uh, and applying that to to metals. However, I know it is an emotional connection that a lot of clients have. You know, I've learned over time, some clients are uh, trainable in the sense that you can convince them of certain things and then you can't go beyond a certain level. And I have found that clients that have a an interest in commodities really are always going to stay in that interest. So I do try to work with some of them that have that interest, but I do fully disclose that, you know, I don't necessarily uh, believe in the asset class the way others do, but we do see that that has been a tremendously popular alternative when people start really getting uh, frightened about inflation. Yeah. The the other question that we get asked a lot of is the international scene. I know that might not Mm -hmm. necessarily be in your belly work, but I'd be Mm -hmm. interested in your thoughts that you look at the international sector of of this, this world economy. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of areas crashing and burning right now. Is is that that going to affect the United States over the the short term, long, long term? How do you think that's (laughs) so let me tell you in a prior life, uh, you know, before I started Anderson Capital Management, I have been chief investment officer in large firms and really did have to advocate, you know, full, full diversification of portfolios, meaning international asset classes. And uh, I, I never was ever satisfied that it brought anything to the table for investors other than the optics of a nicer pie chart showing that you have this uh, distribution among all these other asset classes. And and the reason I never really uh, felt comfortable, uh, a number of reasons. I mean, early on in my career, I was a high-yield bond analyst. And just a quick story about this. uh, We invested in emerging market debt. And one of the days we were uh, on a conference call with an analyst from a sell-side firm uh, who was going to be reporting from ground zero about uh, a certain company. And it turned out that while we were waiting for him to come on, the operator came on and said, oh, I'm sorry, we can't have the conference call because martial law has been oh, declared in, in the country where the analyst was reporting from and he couldn't leave his hotel. And so I think our job is hard enough in the United States to figure out what the heck is going on with stocks and analyst opinion. Throw in a lot of other geographic distance, you know, uh, the risk of martial law. And it's even harder for me to really have a confident opinion, I'll be totally honest with you, about making a recommendation in those countries. Now, that might be an extreme case because certainly, you know, in Europe there are not other all countries are at that risk, but I do find it's extremely difficult to 
have an equal amount of confidence in countries like that compared with the confidence I have in, in U.S. equities and U.S. fixed income. Now, part of that is a diversification scheme. You can say, you know, when something zigs, the other zags. But as we've seen, when the world gets really tough, everything moves in the same direction. It might be right. temporarily. But uh, I do think that that is what we've experienced in the past. And But just coming back to your original question, I do always believe, frankly, and have witnessed that the U.S. is, in my opinion, the best place to invest under any circumstances. And I would never bet against the U.S., uh, but I think that there are situations where I would bet against other countries um, outside of ours. Now, that was great, Peter. One other question you mentioned in a prior life, you were uh, more <laughs> in the high-yield bond space. I'm interested to hear your take on sort of the where we are interest rate wise your outlook yeah. on on fixed income and and mm. maybe some uh, some opportunities there yes yeah so uh, i always recommend that clients no matter how uninteresting an asset class it might be or un underperforming that they do have investment grade u.s fixed income in the portfolio and the main reason i advocate that is not because of the income, I mean, the income is paltry at this point, but it's always a good uh, ballast against when we feel weakening in the U.S. markets, U.S. equity markets. U.S. fixed income is uh, even treasuries, you know, and I know the treasury rates are horrible and most uh, clients will say, why on earth would you ever recommend that? But you want to have that as an insurance policy. Well, I shouldn't really say insurance policy because it isn't you know, guaranteed by any means, but as a possible buffer when the equity markets start to sell off sharply. It's almost a physical law. And, you know, we don't have many physical laws in investing. I, a lot of quantitative uh, analysts try to convince you of that, okay? But there is no, there's no real set of physical laws, except maybe for risk and return, but also equity versus fixed investment grade fixed income. It is a wonderfully predictable pattern that if we sell off in equities, you will look like a genius if you've had some boring fixed income. So I always recommend uh, clients to have some amount in it, not for income, but for protection if uh, things were to wane more sharply. All right, so what would that allocation be, Pete? Would it be 10% well, of the Well, of course, it depends 20%? on... Well, it depends on uh, everybody's demographic. Uh, you know, everybody is different. I've learned in this business that, you know, you can have a formula for uh, out of a textbook that a college professor would have taught you. And then you actually sit down with a real human being and, you know, it's more complicated, right? I mean, they have psychology involved. They might have come from, uh, and I'm sure you've come across this. I mean, I've had clients whose grandparents were uh, in the Holocaust or, you know, through just Depression great babies. depressions. Yep, I've worked yes. with them. Yep. Yeah, and uh, so there's no convincing them, you know, to get um, really bold up, so yes. to speak, in uh, pure equity. So right. on a case-by-case -case basis, I will tell you this. It ranges from 10, 15, 20 percent 
all the way up to somebody that might be extremely conservative to 50% because okay. they, if you've got, as I said back earlier, if you have um, a liquidity event scheduled or college tuition or a wedding or something like that, then you definitely don't want to put that money in a lot of risk. And so the range is, is that way. Uh, but I also always advocate that they do have some S&P 500 type exposure because that's important too. Sure. Let's let's go back to the international side for a second. China has yeah. become a major conversation for everybody. T two mm -hmm. things. One, what do you think about China's ability to outpace the U.S. into the future? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but that seems to be yep. a concern that some yep. people have. And the other piece yep. is, on a global standpoint, this 15% corporate tax that the G7 is mm -hmm. talking about. Uh, yeah. Like you can't put your money in, in other countries uh, for, for no tax, yeah. you're gonna pay minute 15. Where do you think that's going along with, where, where, you know, your thoughts yeah. about China? Well, um, China is certainly in the headlines, it makes a very attractive story. Let's just, you know, tie in the whole press situation that, you know, plays on fear. And uh, I think it, it is a justified fear. Uh, I will say this, that tying in with don't bet against America, the US, I still think that the US is the best in terms of an entrepreneurial thought and development and, you know, following through with incredibly creative solutions to things and um, that other countries tend to follow our trending and they may be very bright and they may be hard workers, but I think they lack what I would call like a, a free free market entrepreneurial um, stimulation and uh, encouragement. So yes, I think China can perhaps catch up to us in terms of numbers of soldiers or however you want to use you know the common metrics. But my surv surveillance of physics, for instance mathematics the u.s is the best <laughs> i hate to sound nationalist but um I, I do totally believe that i think that the best companies have come from the united states you know you look at companies like uh nvidia amazon all the other big companies facebook you know they may be controversial in some areas but i just don't think they could have been created anywhere else so that's kind of the philosophical answer, right? I mean, that's kind of the 10,000 foot uh, altitude answer. But in terms of like practicality, yes, I think that copyright issues of technology can be threatening to us. And uh, I do think that we'll, what might hold that back is the fact that it is, we, we seem to forget that it's a communistic country. I mean, you know, a lot of these discussions we have, I don't know if people just suspend disbelief or something, but we always have to remember that we're talking about a country that is communistic and not at all a free economy and really suppresses a lot of the, you know, public opinion of that country compared to what we're going through now, which is, you know, the total opposite. So when you look at those things, I think the technology over there is important. I think it's powerful but I never worry that they will overtake us uh, in the long run. Okay. So how about this 15% corporate tax across the land? 
What, what, what yeah, I've about? never been a proponent of, well, first off, philosophically, I don't support it. But um, in terms of the reality of the getting done, I think we've had enough. We can see in the human lab of Congress, right, uh, in the House, that it takes a lot of negotiation and a lot of discussion to get even a U.S. tax passed through. So I don't put a lot of uh, prob- high probability that this will actually get passed, and I, I don't worry about it at this point. When would I worry about it? Well, when it actually was in, say, the ninth inning of getting this done, then I would say that it's important. But in terms of all the other things I worry about, it's very, very low in the priorities at this point. Okay. All right, let's, uh, we'll come to an end of our time today, but give me your your crystal ball, Pete. Where do you yeah. think we're going in the next couple of years? Maybe the next five years, if you, if you were take a, a good yeah. guess. Where, where do you think we're going as a country? And as a financial Boy, it has been remarkable. I think you and I talked earlier this year, you know, uh, we turned the page to January and I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I'm reading about space travel, cryptocurrencies, all kinds of oh, um, drones that are going to transport humans. And I think, well, that is, that's nice science fiction, but I don't think it's in the next five years. I really don't. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me, and a lot of people think that um, space travel for, I, I guess, personal entertainment is going to be a highlight of a technology to invest in, but I, I don't follow that. So here's what I think. I think that we will look back a year from now and we will say this has been a tremendous recovery, one that uh, rivals post-World War II you know, with the um, the baby boom era. I think that there will be some new name for that. Maybe it's going to be the post-COVID uh, period. But I do also think that inflation, we'll still be talking about inflation the way we are now. I think the Fed is smart to say, look, we are in a monsoon right now, so we're not going to pretend we know anything about how the how much integrity this data has because we're in a turning point. So a year from now, I think we'll look back and we will say, thank goodness we've recovered. We are thrilled that rates are staying low. And now we're finally getting to a point where we can make comparables, you know, say, well, this quarter's earnings, how does it compare to say the quarter's pre-COVID? But to be honest with you, I don't do a lot of um, earnings comparisons right now because I just think it's nonsense. We, there's just no way to really know where we are. And then a, two years from now, I think we will start saying, okay, everything is back. Uh, and now we will start to see the Fed putting pressure on rates. And to be honest with you, when uh, before COVID, I thought rates were too low anyway. I thought that uh, the economy was running like a top and that it was artificially low. But I think it's a godsend coming into COVID. So the artificially low rates have helped us. But in, within two years, we're going to start to see the 10-year pickup, which we should. I mean, I think a 10-year normally, when I was you know, raised a, in this business, it wasn't unusual to talk about 10 years that were, you know, 6 to 8%. It's, yeah, it's I remember absurd. that, too. It was, it was like gotta, normal. It was like, yeah. yeah. Exa- exactly. So uh, we need to get back to that normalcy because there's a lot of people in our business that think this is normal. But, you know, you talk to somebody that's been in a business 20-plus years, and any of us will tell you that this is very, very not normal. 
a period of time. And I am totally optimistic. I think that we have gone through this thing tremendously. We've gotten the, I mean, just, we will look back at the vaccines and say, I think we've been, we're so busy, we can't take a breath and, you know, pat ourselves on the back and say, what remarkable progress we've made in the past year. Because we're always thinking of the next problem, the Delta variant or the Epsilon variant, whatever will be after Delta. Delta. But um, I remain optimistic. I've always been optimistic. And this is what I tell clients. I'm not opt- I'm mindless optimist. I just think that uh, human nature, if you want to get really philosophical about this, you know, we are wired to always improve our lives, period. And that will never stop. And I think we'll see that emerge in much stronger form and much more polarized form within the next couple of years. That was a great uh, con- conclusion there, Peter. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time for today, but I, I want to thank you for coming on because I really think you shared some great insight in where we are, where we might be going. And uh, again, I particularly like that, that conclusion there. So, uh, stay optimistic. I think that's an important, thank you. It's an important key component there. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for being a, a part of this today. Yeah, I appreciate your you're, time, Pete. I know how busy you are. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Guys, this was a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Peter. Again, I love the optimism, so thank you so much for bringing that to the podcast. Um, these Great. guys uh, have so much educational material, and and the, yep. I know that the audience is just floored by how much they bring to the table already, and to have somebody come on and, and kind of talk about the future a little bit and, and share that optimism is always a blessing. John and Michael, thank you for bringing them on the show. And of course, our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. 
Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.